Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Everybody okay? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hey, here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to pick up, I'm jumping right in. Uh, We're going to pick up a series that we started in November. It's essentially a three-month-long series on spiritual formation. We began it in November. We took December off to do Advent, Christmas sort of things, and then we're back in it again this month. And here's what I want to do. Um, Just because there may be some people here who were not with us in November, I want to just sort of give a big picture here, and then we'll jump into what we need to do today. Um, I want to talk to you just for a second about spiritual formation. In case you weren't with us or that's a new term for you, uh, here's what spiritual formation really means. It it just means uh, developing uh, some practices that allow us to become people who are actually like Jesus. You know, Uh, to see yourself go from whoever you are now, not becoming less of yourself. In, In many ways, it's about becoming who you really, really are, but formed in the image of Jesus Christ. Hopefully by the end of your life, you could become the sort of person who uh, acts like Jesus, looks like Jesus, uh, uh, reacts like Jesus, uh, smells like Jesus, whatever that is, but you want to be the sort of person who's actually like him. Now, if you were to take all of the church, and by all the church, I mean all the different streams or all the different branches of the church, if you were to take them and just sort of like scatter them out on a table, I mean, you know, there's lots of different parts of the church, right? There's all kinds of different little streams and branches. If you take all the branches and streams and you spread them out on a table, what you would find is you would find that the church um, approaches this idea of spiritual formation, of becoming like Jesus. You would find that they approach it in very different ways, but for the most part, you could break the church down into two different categories, okay? So you would find that one part of the church approaches spiritual formation like this. Spiritual formation means uh, becoming like Jesus in character or in the heart. Uh, read for that uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. So becoming someone who really embodies love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all of those sorts of things. And it really embodies the heart and the character of Jesus so that like, uh, you could be kind to people who are difficult. You know? How many of you know that this week you're going to have encounters with people who are difficult? It's going to happen. And I would like to become the sort of person who is kind to difficult people. Not just acting kind, but in the heart can take their difficulty and, and, and realize that it's actually no difficulty at all. How many of you know that you can smile and serve someone, but in the heart just want to knock them out? And how many of you know that's still not Jesus? Right? Like you've acted like Jesus, but you're actually not like him. Right? It's still better than knocking someone out, but still there's a place to go. So there's a whole section of the church that would approach spiritual formation just in terms of acting like Jesus in terms of character. Love, joy, peace, patience, fruit of the Spirit stuff. Okay, then there's another section of the church. Read for that. Pentecostal charismatic traditions that talk about spiritual formation, but only in terms of doing the stuff that Jesus did, especially as it relates to like dynamic power ministry, healing the sick, uh, and giving prophetic words and words of knowledge and all this sort of thing, and read for that, like, the gifts of the Spirit, right? So there's a whole section of the church that's like, you know what we need? We need to be people who, like, can do the stuff that Jesus did. Well, I just want to tell you, here at the Vineyard, 
we, we don't want to do one or the other. We want to do both and. We want to merge these sometimes divergent streams and we want to draw them together and we want to ask ourselves, what are the practices that could lead you and I into becoming the, the kind of person who has the character of Jesus but is also able to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven the way that Jesus did, you know? Not either or. We want the fruit of the Spirit and we want the gifts of the Spirit to be active, resident, and on display in our lives. That's what it means to be a disciple or an apprentice to Jesus. That's what it means to be someone who's taking spiritual formation seriously. Now, here's the other thing I want you to know about spiritual formation. Uh, Spiritual formation does not happen on accident. No one accidentally becomes like Jesus. No one just wakes up one morning from a long night's sleep and goes, you know what I want to do? I want to just like bless all my enemies today. It'll, it'll never happen. It'll never work that way. You'll never just go to sleep and then wake up the next morning and go, you know what I want to do? I want to just be real nice to everybody who's been a jerk to me. You know? I want to go find them and bless them. And I want to like... I want to pray that God's goodness would come. It'll never happen. Spiritual formation is only going to happen to us to the degree that we take it up with some intention and go, you know what? I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Here's another way to think of it. Uh, Jesus called disciples to himself. He called 12 in particular. And those guys followed him around for three or three and a half years, depending on how you do the math. And how many of you know that every day those guys chose to stay with Jesus was a day that they were putting purpose and intention into, into becoming like him? Like Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, at any moment during that three-year journey, they could have jumped off the boat and gone somewhere else, right? And if they had done that, they would not have been like him. So there's this sense in which spiritual formation is the active, everyday choice to go, you know what, I'm going to keep following Jesus and do the things that Jesus is doing so I can be the person that Jesus is. That's what spiritual formation means. So this year, what it means for us as a body, it means this. It means if we're going to become people who are like Jesus in character and in demonstration, it means we're going to have to put a little bit of intention to it. It means we're going to have to say, you know what? I'm going to make this my goal for the year. It doesn't happen on accident. All right, so here's what we did back in November. Back in November, we looked at inward practices. Things like contemplation and prayer. And if you weren't here, I highly recommend you go back and listen to the messages from November because they talk about some inward ways that we become like Jesus. In January, we're going to look at the outward practices of becoming like Jesus. And then in February, we're going to look at the communal practices of becoming like Jesus. But for today, I want to put up the outward practices that we're going to be looking at for the next month. If you're a note taker, you can take these down so you know where we're going for the next few weeks. These are the outward practices of becoming someone who's like Jesus in the heart. Simplicity, solitude, submission, service. These are some things we can give ourselves to in order to become like Jesus. Now let me just tell you one thing that I told you last week because it's so important. When it comes to the practices of becoming like Jesus or adding some intention to our discipleship, uh, the practices don't change you. The practices actually don't change you. Uh, It's always the work of the Spirit that changes us. You know, 
Uh, simplicity and solitude, submission and service. It's not going to be the thing that changes you. It's always still the work of the Spirit. So we can let go of the anxiety that says, you know what, I've got to change myself or I've got to work really hard so I can be changed. No, that's not what it is. The practices are just ways of opening the doors to our heart so that God can have access to us so that we can be changed. You know, that's really what it is. Introducing simplicity to our life is just another way of opening the door to my heart so that Jesus can have access. Putting a little solitude in, or if we go back to an inward practice like prayer or contemplation, prayer and contemplation on its own won't change you. It's merely opening the door to God so that he can have access. That's what it is. Okay, cat's out of the bag. Here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you this morning about simplicity. And what a great time of the year to talk about simplicity here at the beginning of the year. Uh, how many of you are purging this week? Right? How many of you, are, yeah, first service, every, like everybody's purging. How many of you are going through closets, through the garage, through cupboards, and you're throwing things away, you're taking stuff to Goodwill, and you're purging, right? You're already on it, right? Yeah, there, there's something about the beginning of a new year that um, it sort of reawakens uh, our heart towards knowing, or there's something that we're already intuiting on the inside that knows that after a season of like abundance and feasting, we need to pull the reins back, reorder our lives, and maybe recenter our lives on the things that are most important so that we can actually do the things that we're called to do. So a lot of us I know are purging, and I know a few of us are doing things like the whole... I'm not doing the whole 30, but I know a few of you guys are doing the whole 30. Again, it's just like trying to introduce some simplicity back into our lives. But before we um, get too deep into the woods, I want to give us the scripture that will be our launch pad this morning, and it comes out of Matthew chapter 8. It's just a few verses. A few verses. A couple strange verses, actually. But they provide for us this template for what may be a Jesus model of simplicity is. It goes like this. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, <clears throat> he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Fun scripture this morning. Fun scripture. You guys are thinking, how does this have anything to do with simplicity? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's why we're here. Before we can dig into that, I probably need to let you know everything else that happened right before this in chapter 8. So if you have your Bible with you, why don't you just open it? We're not going to read it. We're just going to skip like a stone across it because it's really important. If you don't see the stuff that happened before, these verses are even more of a riddle than they already are. So if you've got your Bible with you, open it, look at it. If you've got your iPhone, open up your Bible app and just scroll for a second as I highlight the main things. Okay, so here's what's happening in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is on a tear, okay? He's on a tear, and he's on a tear that is, well, it's all the stuff that Jesus is famous for. So every single thing that happens before we become to these verses right here is Jesus just healing one person after another. So the entire chapter of Matthew chapter 8 is just Jesus healing people left and right, okay? So the chapter opens like this. This guy with leprosy, 
skin disease, for those of you who don't know. This guy with leprosy, total outcast, would not have been allowed to live inside the town, socially ostracized, comes up to Jesus, which would have been breaking the rule right from the very beginning, falls at Jesus' feet and says, hey, I know that you can make me clean if you're willing. And then Jesus does the most amazing thing. He just looks at him. He says, I'm totally willing. And he touches him, again, breaking the rules, and he heals him. Guys, instantly healed. He says, go to the temple and tell the guys what I did for you. Then the next thing that happens is Jesus basically turns around and a Roman centurion, read for that, a Roman soldier with some rank, Roman soldier with some rank, comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I need your help. I've got a servant at home who's really sick and is about to die. And Jesus is like, okay, let's go to your house. And he begins to walk with the guy. And the guy says, no, don't come with me. He says, Jesus, here's the deal. I'm a man who's under authority. I've got bosses, but I'm also a man who has authority. I tell my soldiers underneath me to go, and they go. I tell my servants to come to me, and they come to me. He says, I'm not worthy to even have you in my house. Just say the word, and my servant will be made well. And Jesus is like, this is profound. This is amazing. And he says, I've not seen faith like this in anywhere in Israel. And he says, you can go back home because your servant is well. And the Bible says that very hour, the servant got up. Then the third thing that happens is, Jesus goes to Peter's house. And Peter's mom-in-law is sick in bed with a fever. And Jesus goes to her and he lays his hand on her and speaks a word to her and the fever immediately leaves. Then, all kinds of people from the surrounding villages and towns, they come to Jesus and they bring everyone who's demonized and oppressed. Read for that. Everyone who has mental issues, everyone who is severely not okay, everyone who is compulsive, everyone who is uh, beating themselves up in their heart and in their mind, and Jesus sets all of them free. And then it says they bring everyone in town who is sick. And Jesus spoke a word and touched them, and every single person got healed. And then we have this scenario. Why am I telling you this? Well, here's why. Um, I want you to do two things with me for a second. I want you to imagine everything I just told you that Jesus did. But I want you to imagine that uh, you're Jesus, and you have just done all those things, okay? So just think in your brain. I'm not me. I'm Jesus. And I've cleansed the leper. I've spoken a word to a servant that I don't know and who did not hear me, and he got well. I touched a woman with a fever who was instantly made well. I kicked out all the devils in a town, and everybody who was sick in a city came to me, and I healed every single one of them. Now I want you to think this. What would you do after you were on that kind of a tear? Right? What would you do? Here's what a lot of us would do. We'd start a big-time ministry, you know? We'd get a camera crew, or we'd at least get somebody with an iPhone X to video us so we could put it on Facebook and YouTube and show everybody how awesome we are, right? And then we would figure out ways to monetize it. Uh, we'd make some T-shirts, like, all are healed with, like, some cool font, you know? That's what we do. We'd get a T-shirt that says, everybody better. And, and it would be, but it would be cool font. It wouldn't be Comic Sans or anything. It would be very designed. It would be very put together. And then we would sell them and people could give to our ministry. And then we would also start a Patreon account. And 
we have a podcast where we tell people at the end of it, you know, if you'd like to support this podcast and my healing ministry, you can give to my Patreon. If you know, it's just four or five day, four or five dollars a month, you know, anything you have, it really helps. And we would monetize it or we would milk it for our, everything it's worth, right? It's like everything's working, you know? Okay, now let's turn this around, okay? You're not Jesus, you're just you again, but you live in this town and Jesus has healed a leper. He's spoken to a person who didn't hear him and they were well. He's made a feverish person uh, totally better and he's kicked out all the demons and he's healed all the sick people in the city. Everybody in Campbellsville is better and we're just here, okay? And Jesus is running around. Uh, now what do you do? How many of you would like to go hang out with Jesus? You'd be like, I don't know who that guy is, but something's working. Am I right, Thomas? You'd be like, something's working. I need to go and just be with there. That's what's happening here, right? And what would be some of the other thoughts that would enter our brain about a guy who's literally going all over Campbellsville, healing every single person who has any kind of problem? Here's some options, maybe. Uh, this guy has it going on. He heals all the sick. We'd probably think things like, he can do anything. Right? And then by anything, we'd mean like, he's probably loaded. Right? And he's probably got like a great house. And he's probably got like all the, like he's got all the good stuff. Right? We'd think, I got to get, I got to get connected to this guy. He's probably got the best house. He's got the best boat on the lake. He's got a 401k. He knows how to like get my life in order. And he's probably going to be like mayor of, of Campbellsville. And and he's probably not just going he's, to, he's going to be the best mayor ever. And you know what? I want to work in the mayor's office with that guy. Would that, would that be how we would think? We'd be like, we got to let, we got to get rid of the mayor and get this guy to be the mayor. That's what we would think. We'd be like, I'm, this guy is amazing. And so we would come to Jesus just like these guys did. And then Jesus would speak this riddle to us. Two different riddles. So the first guy comes to him, and I hope you notice that it was a teacher of the law, uh, read for that, somebody who's not a dummy and who knows the book, especially the Old Testament, and realizes that Jesus is clicking a lot of the Old Testament boxes for Mike being the Messiah. So you're like, ching, ching, ching. And he's like doing it all in Matthew chapter 8. And you would go to him and you would be like, uh, Mayor, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to I wanna go wherever you're going. And Jesus turns around to the guy and he says this, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest. Does this compute? Let me just translate this for you, okay? You've seen him do everything all week long. He's kicking butt, he's taking names, he's making every single thing right. You're like, I want to go be with that guy. And Jesus says, that's great. I would like you to come along with me, but here's what you need to know. I don't have anything. Like, I've got some stuff, but I don't have all the stuff that you think I have. Like, I have healing, but I don't even have a house. Furthermore, most animals are better off than me. Right? Isn't that what he says? Foxes have a house. Birds have a house. I got nothing. How many of you understand that Jesus didn't even have two nickels to rub together? When he started his ministry and started running around... You have to dig into the Gospel of Luke to find this out a little bit, but one of the things you find in the Gospel of Luke is that the people who were following Jesus around, especially the women, are the ones who were supporting his ministry. And by the way, that would have been scandalous, right? So this guy comes to Jesus because he thinks, you've got everything, and Jesus is like, yeah, I got a lot, 
but I don't have the stuff that you think I have. And notice that Jesus doesn't apologize for it. Also notice that Jesus doesn't say, but I'm saving. Like, I'm saving my money. I'm, I'm getting it together. We're going to create a ministry center, and we're going to, like, I'm going to get a big house, and uh, I'm going to teach everybody how to, like, get their finances in order, and everybody's going to have, we're going to, we're going to 401k, and you're going to, it's going to be great, and everybody's going to be comfortable, right? There was no addendum. Part of what we're seeing here is that Jesus lives a very simple life. And I, I want to show you, just from this scripture, there's two areas in particular that Jesus' simplicity is put on display. And the first one is in his response to this man. Jesus' simplicity was embodied uh, in the area or in the domain of uh, possessions. In the area of possessions. Jesus says to the guy, yeah, I've got healing, I don't even have a house. So I don't know if that's going to be a disappointment to you. But if you're thinking you're coming to me and that it's all going to be easy, bro, it's not going to be easy. I'm living a different kind of life. And so part of the Jesus model, and it's, the, it's part of the Jesus model that we know probably the least about here in the United States, is simplicity within the domain of possessions. Let's talk about possessions for a minute. Uh, how many of you have ever noticed that having a lot of stuff can actually be a curse rather than a blessing? Yeah, right? Like having a lot of stuff can actually add anxiety to your life rather than take it away. In fact, I'll just tell you this. It almost always does. The more you get, the more you're gotten. That'd be one way of saying it. How many of you remember back when that nightmarish show was on TV called Hoarders? Yeah, I would rather... <sighs> I would rather sit in a small, dark room in a haunted house and watch Stephen King movies from a TV screen that is six inches away that you can't get away from for eternity than have to watch a season of Hoarders. Right? There's nothing scary. That show was scary, Right? Because you would go in there, they would go in and they would follow these people whose homes are just stacked with crap everywhere and people who literally couldn't even throw an old Wendy's bag away, right? And how many of you remember that when they were on that show, oftentimes the person who was trying to help these people, they would dig in their lives a little bit and they would ask them some questions and almost every time, without fail, the person who was hoarding had experienced some sort of like profound trauma in their life and then the manifestation of that trauma was just like all this stuff, right? Yeah. And then that stuff they had was no longer just something they had. All of a sudden, they're possessed by their possessions. Right? Jesus knows about this stuff, you guys. He totally does. Put up a couple quotes from sort of the leader of the modern minimalist movement. Anybody know about the minimalism movement? That's hard to say, by the way. Yeah. You can check this guy out. His name is Joshua Fields Milburn. Here's what he says. He says, the things you own end up owning you. I love the second quote even more, though. He says, now before I buy, myself, buy, my, buy something, I ask myself this one question. Is this worth my freedom? It's actually worth screenshotting. Why? 
Why are these important things? Because the stuff we have could end up possessing us. By the way, this isn't about guilt either. It's just about realizing that possessions can keep us from a simple life and possessions can make us anxious rather than taking anxiety away and possessions can become a weird kind of prison. That's one aspect of Jesus' simple life. He didn't have anything. Okay, the second aspect of Jesus' simple life. It's in the second person who comes to him. This other disciple came to him and said, Hey, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my dead dad. And Jesus is like, You should follow me and let your dead dad be buried by someone else. How many of you think that on the surface, Jesus is being crazy and a little callous? Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, right? Like, the desire to go bury your dead dad, it seems legitimate, right? (laughs) It seems legitimate. And here's Jesus telling the guy, you should just let your dad be wherever your dad is and let somebody else take care of that. You should follow me. This is another aspect of Jesus' simplicity being put on display. And it's, it's the area of, of, of focus and purpose. So there's this thing of possessions, and then there's this thing here in verse 20 and 22 of purpose as well. And Jesus is saying to the guy, you know what matters more than anything else? Here's what matters more than anything else. Life and the kingdom of heaven. I'll just tell you a little side thing here. Uh, For a son to go and bury his father, that would have been extremely culturally important in the first century. Heck, it's important now, right? That's an important thing. It would have been extremely important in the first century. No question, and Jesus knows that. But how many of you know there might be another reason the son wanted to go home? It's the subharmonic that's sitting right underneath this conversation. What might the son be wanting to get when he goes home to bury his father? The inheritance. Read for that what? Stuff, right? So both of these little interactions from Jesus have to do with living a certain kind of simple life. And it's very interesting to me that the subharmonic in the second one is directly related to the first one and probably has to do with stuff. But Jesus is expanding on it and he is saying to the man, listen, here's what's important. You literally have life standing in front of you right now. I'm the most alive person who's ever been alive. I created everything. Here's what you have to do. You have to be able to see the kingdom, enter the kingdom, and let everything else take its place behind that. Later, later in Jesus' own ministry, he says, you know what? If you love your mother and father more than me, you can't even have any part of what I'm doing. Why? Because there's priorities. There's a simplicity in the priorities. There's a simplicity in the Christian life as it relates to possessions, priorities, or purpose, however you want to talk about that. And Jesus is just bringing these out for us extremely, extremely stark. And what was Jesus' singular focus? Well, it was preaching good news to the poor. Put this up. This is in Luke chapter 4. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place and the people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Read for that. They tried to keep him from his purpose. But he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns towns also because that's why I was sent. So Jesus knew who he was and what he was up to. 
And I just want to be really honest with you guys on this note. Um, This is where I really, really, really struggle having a simple life. One of the things that became extremely stark uh, in my awareness this week as I was just sort of reading these scriptures and mulling them over is that for the past uh, 20 years, I've had two or three jobs the entire time. Like right now, I have two jobs and my wife has two jobs. And I used to sort of like wear that as a badge of honor, but I'm starting to realize this is not good. This is not good. Uh, This is is dissolving and this is uh, evaporating uh, my ability to hone in on the central focus of my life. And it is, it is essentially, in some ways, me uh, telling Jesus I need to go bury a dead dad occasionally, you know? If I can just put this on display. So this is a message for me as much as it is for anyone. But you have to ask yourself, why did Jesus hold out such a singular focus on simplicity and possessions and simplicity and purpose. I believe that it was in order to maintain some margin in his life. Margin. Such an important, important thing. It's possible to fill your life up. This is one of the things I think we all have to recognize is everybody here is a limited human being. That's part of what it means to be a person. The more of a person you become, the more you realize there's only so much person to your personhood. There are limits, and it's possible to fill it up. It's possible to squeeze out all the juice. It's possible to do this. It's possible to run the kids around and make dinner and go to work and wash the dishes and feed the dog and take care of the farm, and then all of a sudden you have zero margin for other people. And you can't even hear the spontaneous voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you about the issues in your life or the issues in the people around you. Or if for some reason you see them, you're completely unable to do anything about it. Uh, It's really, really easy to quietly and slowly and then suddenly become a person who is almost completely unavailable. Or to have the unimportant details of your life crowd out our attention to the important details of our calling. A few years ago, um, gosh, this is probably 10 years ago, probably 10 years ago, uh, Heather and I had a friend, she's still our friend, a Brazilian girl named Luciani, really, really good friend. And Luciani had a dream about us. I'll just tell you the dream. Because it speaks to like knowing the things that you're actually called to do. Okay, so Luciani has this dream. Uh, she gets up one day and she calls Heather and says, Heather, I've had a dream about you and Adam, and here's the dream. She goes, I dreamed about your, uh, about your house, your white house on the farm. And she says, I saw it, and I went into the house, and when I went into the house, you guys had like all these people there. there was all, every room was filled with people, and everybody was having a good time. And then she said, at the end of the dream, everyone left, and then I saw Adam like washing the dishes, and Heather was drying them and putting them away. And then she said, I went outside and your house quit being a white house on a farm and it became a skyscraper. It just, it went like from the earth almost up to heaven and it became full of people 
And then she said, I went back in and there were way more people at your house and you were still having a party. And then all those people left to go do whatever they're going to do. And she said, there were, there were, there were dishes stacked up from the floor to the ceiling in almost every room. And then she said, and then the dream ended. And then she said, I heard a voice inside of the dream while I was asleep. And the voice said, uh, this will never stop in their life. She called and told us that. When she first told me that, I was, I was pretty bummed. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't really enjoy washing dishes. You know? And it honestly, it took me about a year of stewing on this dream to really understand what it is that God was trying to say to Heather and I. And God was trying to say one very, very simple thing. And it's this, you are called to hospitality. And here's what I've come to discover. It's the primary call in our life. Everything else is kind of finding its way underneath that. Like, so if we were to do this like primary call and vision and purpose for our life as a married couple, uh, it would be like the major umbrella would be like to follow Jesus and to welcome the kingdom, you know, which that's all, that's everybody's life and purpose. And if you can't find your purpose under that umbrella, uh, bro, you're under the wrong umbrella, you know, move quickly, you know. But the second one for Heather and I is to extend hospitality, to show welcome, uh, to open our home and, and to cook and to make a place where people can be a person and to find a, a seat at my table. That is, that is the number one thing we did. And when this dream came, it came to us when I was about 30 and Heather was like 28 and we were already doing that, right? Now, 10 years later, I realized this is the thing we are called to more than anything else. Why am I telling you this story? Well, in order to lay hold of Jesus' call of simplicity in the realm of possessions and then in the realm of purpose, you actually kind of need to know what the heck it is you're called to do. You know, making space, making space without having something to say yes to, uh, getting rid of or saying no without a primary yes in your life, it'll get filled back up with something else unimportant. Happens every time. All right, so what do we do? What do we do? Well, how about this? Um, what if you started 2019, and I actually think that everything I'm about to tell you right now is going to take the better part of a year or longer, okay? But what if you started here in January, the first week? What if you started by considering your life? Think about your whole life, Right? What if you started thinking about all the stuff you have? And then what if you think about this? What could I get rid of and be happy? Then what if you go even one level deeper and you go, what do I just need to get rid of even if it doesn't initially make me happy? What if I discover happiness behind even that other thing, you know? Then you just do it. Or how about this? Um, what if you ask yourself this question? What, what could I let go of this year? Maybe it'd be a good idea to start having the conversations with your spouse or some friends or a pastor, and you began to have the long conversation about what simplicity might look like in your life, especially in the areas of purpose and possession.
in order to have that conversation, you have to know what you're called to. So that might be another conversation that's right there on it. Then you have to consider your commitments. What have you said yes to? What do you need to let go of? And then also, what do you need to lay hold of? Here's what I've noticed when it comes to letting go of commitments. You know, some of us in the room have a really difficult time of like letting go of things, of realizing, okay, that was for a season, it's time for me to let go. Then there's others of us who we, all we ever do is let go. We're just like, oh, just not doing that anymore. You know, it's like, I let go, I let go, I let go. And so the difficulty for some of us is to actually lay hold of something and to bring it into our life and to give our yes. Be a good year to consider everything that we're doing and everything we're having and going, how could I parse that down to less? One of the things I've found in my life is that um, more in terms of commitment or stuff, more, it, it almost never leads to more abundance in my heart. It just almost never does. And even in the times when I've been forced into a less moment, almost every single time without question, like joy and happiness grows. I could tell you a story about something that's even happened in the last six weeks. I don't have time to go into it, but I'll just tell you. In the last six or eight weeks, Heather and I have been forced into a no on a couple things, and some things had to be let go of, and I thought, I'm really going to miss that. And what I found out is I didn't miss it at all. And in fact, the joy in our home has grown, even though we had less in this one area. Very interesting, right? It's a good time to consider your life, like the stuff you have and then the yeses that you have. And maybe it's time to reorient all of that. Maybe it's time to let go of a bunch of it, you know? Maybe it's time to, to get things down to the essence. Maybe it's time to get things down to the, the substance, the, the, the elements that actually have some, some sizzle in it. Maybe it's time to focus everything in your life around the stuff you know you're called to do and to, to just viciously hang on to those things. be a good day to do that. All right, I've probably stirred up enough trouble for you and for me. Why don't you do this this morning? Why don't you stand up and if you're on the ministry team, why don't you come on up? We want to pray. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.